Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, August 23rd, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined by Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Jacob, it's just you and I today on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, Peter's at D23, sending back hot information for us to write up into articles. So Yes. Yes, and that is mostly what we're going to be talking about today. But before we get into that, let's talk about the one piece of uh, relatively big movie news that broke. I think this was yesterday afternoon after we finished recording yesterday's podcast. And that is the Uncharted movie has lost another director. Tell us what's going on there. Yeah, Dan Trachtenberg, the director of 10 Cloverfield Lane and episodes of Black Mirror and The Boys, has left the adaptation of Uncharted that he's been making at Sony. He was announced as a director in January and... He's one of many big-name filmmakers who, over literally a decade, have been attached to this film and have dropped out. It includes people like Sean Levy, Joe Carnahan, David O. Russell, Neil Berger, Seth Gordon. So I think I went through our set archives, Ben, and our first article about an Uncharted movie from 2010 gave you an idea of how long this has been gestating. And this is a bummer for a number of reasons. One, it's been too long since Trachtenberg's made a movie. 
Uh, so who knows what happens next with, for him. Uh, he's a friend of the site and a friend of the, of the podcast. Just we'll get that out there right right away. He's been on this show. Uh, and two, Uncharted feels like a slam dunk. It's Indiana Jones with modern sensibilities. And, and games have great characters and great you know storylines. They feel like they – well, not necessarily easy to make into a movie. It feels like it feels like a slam dunk if you pair the right person with it. And Trachtenberg seemed like a good fit for the material. What's going on here, Ben? I don't know, man. I'm I'm right there with you. I'm a big fan of these games. Uh, I remember playing the first one in college in 2007 when that came out, and uh, Uncharted 4, which only came out like a couple years ago, is like one of my favorite video games of all time. So I'm I'm a huge fan of this franchise, and like you have been tracking this potential movie for yeah like a decade at this point, and I just don't understand. This is this is the sixth director to walk away from this project, like. Who, I don't know, I just have to assume that there's something going on behind the scenes where there's a clash between what Sony wants out of this project and what these filmmakers have in mind for it. And I'm just wondering if if you think that this is ever actually going to happen, because like you said, it seems like it's so tailor-made, these games are so cinematic, it seems perfect for an adaptation. Do you think we're ever going to see an Uncharted movie? I think we are, and I think that it's going to be disappointing, and I don't like to paint studios or studio executives with broad brushes but if this film couldn't get made under previous sony leadership it will get made under tom rothman and it'll get made at the lowest common denominator because that's how he makes movies if you look at his tenure at fox or or everywhere else he's worked uh there's a reason filmmakers clash with him and there's a reason why so many films under his watch are garbage so i think i think uncharted may make it release date of december 18th 2020 it's going to be a director no one's excited about, and it's going to be a film that disappoints fans and critics and regular audiences alike. That's just the kind of thing that Rothman does. Yeah, and we should say that Tom Holland is still attached to play the young version of Nathan Drake, which is the video game's protagonist. And, I mean, I don't know. We've talked about that before, so I guess we don't really have to get into what we think about, about the movie taking that particular direction. But, um, I don't know, I guess I'll just say I, I think there's enough there in the if it, for a more like straightforward adaptation of the game, I think there's enough there to work with. And I, I was excited about Tom Holland. Tom Holland's a great actor. I love watching him work, but I, I was kind of excited about the the prospect of him playing a young Drake because it would allow filmmakers to sort of put a different spin on and not like slavishly adapt, you know, the, the games as they exist. But with so many people walking away from it, I'm I'm just wondering now if if we're getting closer and closer to a more direct adaptation, if that's the the um, trajectory that this movie is on here. So uh, I guess we'll we'll see. But let's talk about some more interesting stuff. Let's talk about D23. That's going on right now. Uh, we may have more sort of bonus episodes for you over the next uh, maybe even later tonight. I don't know, and and over the next couple days, depending on what. Peter has uh, has up his sleeve and what Disney has up their sleeve. So D23 is the D23 Expo. It's a fan convention um, of all things Disney, Marvel, Pixar, Star, you know, the whole the whole thing. Um, so let's talk about the theme parks a little bit, Jacob. Last night we learned a little bit about what's going on at Epcot. And I know this is a, a park that is near and dear to your heart personally. Yes, uh, Epcot, for those of you who don't know, is the second uh, park built at Walt Disney World in the early 80s. And even if you've never been there, you may recognize the giant silver sphere. Uh, that's this park's icon that houses the ride Spaceship Earth. And that ride is very much an icon of what the park used to be when it was first built, which is a park about educating and enlightening, uh, which meant, you know, rides about history and science, communication. The back half of the park, all the various cultures, the pavilions built, you know, to be around and based on countries around the world. And 
over the years, uh, Epcot's developed this reputation as being the boring park, even though people like kids like me who loved learning uh, loved Epcot to death. And over the past few years, we've seen Epcot really start to change its trajectory. Uh, like, for example, a, a Frozen-themed ride open there. There's a Ratatouille ride being built there. Guardians of the Galaxy are going there. And there's been this shift toward Epcot no longer being, you know, the educational, you know, future vision of tomorrow that it was 30 years ago. And D23 has really cemented this. Uh, Bob Chapek, who runs Disney Resorts, came out and says that the, in the next few years, Epcot will become more Disney, more family, and more timeless. I think the more Disney part is the key here. I think we've, we've all of us have suspected that we're going to see a lot more character-based rides and attractions, replacing, you know, stuff that was, you know, more neutral in its themes. And in order to sort of drill this home, they announced a uh, experience called Journey of Water, which is based on Moana. And I'm going to quote the release here. It will let guests interact with magical living water in a beautiful and inspiring setting. So it sounds less like a ride and more like, you know, interactive experience. Between this and, you know, Ratatouille and Guardians of the Galaxy, Epcot's undergoing a massive shift. And it's also getting a facelift. It was a new um, concept art release that you can see in our article on the site. It has, you know, a really beautiful-looking over overlay for the park. Uh, the front entrance is being redone. It's becoming more colorful. There's going to be more stuff announced on Sunday, we believe. So I'm, I'm of two minds here that this is becoming a park for Disney fans. It's becoming a park built around characters and movies and, and you know, TV shows that people know and love and be excited to see. But And I get that. I understand it has to happen. But, man, I, I miss back when Epcot would bore other kids and thrill me. Uh, ben, I know you're, you're, not, you're not the theme park guy like me and Peter are, but what do you think about this? Does, does Epcot mean anything to you? So I have to admit, I feel like the, you know, I, I grew up in Florida and I went to Walt Disney World a bunch as a kid. And Epcot was always the sort of boring place for me. So I feel like I was one of those kids that was like walking by you, rolling my eyes when you were just excited about learning and stuff. And I feel like I would enjoy it a lot more now. I haven't been to Epcot in uh, at least 15 years or so, maybe longer than that. But um, I feel like I would enjoy it a lot more now, especially with the whole like uh, the concept of traveling around the world and stuff, which is something that I've, my wife and I have done, uh, you know, in real life since then. So I, I feel like I would appreciate elements of Epcot now. So, Jacob, do you consider yourself like a, a theme park traditionalist? Oh, man, I try to find the easy ground between respecting tradition and realizing that things need to change. I, mean, I know Peter and I discussed on the, on the podcast before about how Disney is sometimes too slavish to its past, and there are things that probably should not still be running at Disney World and Disneyland that are still running because, you know, they're from the 60s and they, and they matter. Mm -hmm. But then there's Universal uh, on the other end who have no qualms at all about ter tearing things out, burning it down, and building the next best thing possible. Like, and turning in good stuff, but, you know, sacrificing the past to do it. So I'm really torn here because I guarantee when I go to Epcot again, I'm going to enjoy this new stuff. I'm excited to, to try out these new things. Uh, but part of me just wishes that Epcot would remain the same, but I know it can't. I, I know things have to change and move forward or they die. So uh, I'm trying I'm trying to come to terms with this. I, I know it's probably the right decision. I just hope that Disney, you know, implements these new ideas in a way that's respectful and creative. Yeah, and Moana is a movie that I, I enjoyed a lot. But looking at this piece of concept art that we have in our article and, and hearing you talk about it as sort of like a... I don't know, an attraction more than a ride, like an experience more than a ride, I guess. I'm just wondering if they wouldn't have been better served to like go all out and create like a boat ride, you know, like a full on water themed Moana thing instead of just what looks like here to be, 
you know, an area that has a lot of foliage around it and maybe like a special fountain or something. It seems like it could be uh, a little underwhelming in person. What do you make of this Moana ride? Yeah, I don't know. I think it may be something that's more, you know, for younger audiences, for, for children. And that's always been an issue at Epcot is, you know, younger kids need something to do there. So I really do think it's going to be something that, you know, maybe the 10 under set are looking for. And I know that if you believe the theme park rumor mill, and I believe this story, is that Disney had very loose plans for a Moana-themed roller coaster if the movie was a billion-dollar worldwide film, which it was not, which is why mm-hmm. we're getting a water fountain as opposed to a, you know, Magic Kingdom-style roller coaster, you know, next to Jungle Cruise. Interesting, interesting. All right, well, let's talk about something that uh, I think most of all ages uh, of, of Disney visitors will probably appreciate, and that is the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge Hotel, which now has a name. I think it's either called the uh, Galactic Star Cruiser, or oh, I think that's like the... the um, umbrella name for it and the actual specific name of the quote-unquote spaceship that is uh themed this hotel is themed as a spaceship and and guests can stay in there is called the uh the halcyon so um jacob i know you you've been sort of following closely in all the theme park stuff and this uh this particular hotel is something that is only going to be available, as far as we know right now, at the um, at Walt Disney World. It's not over here on our side, on my side of the country in uh, Disneyland. So what do, what do we know about this, and what do you think about these models and photos that we've seen so far? It looks like a cool Star Wars ship. It looks like what you expect a you know luxury cruiser to look like in Star Wars. It looks like you know the Carnival Cruise Line if it was a somewhat junky spaceship, which is perfect for Star Wars, and. The theme here is that this is a ship docked at Batu, where it's, you know, location of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And you can sort of come and go and disembark to go visit, you know, the, the planet and go back on. And all the early reports uh, have aligned with this concept art, which is that there are no real windows in this place. Every window is a screen, so it looks like, looks like you're floating through space. And that you will be immersed, like all the employees are in character. There will be different like storytelling elements and experiences going on that you can choose to join in, sort of you know become a rebel spy and do all kinds of things around the hotel. And this also aligns with the fact that this is a very small hotel by Disney standards, only a couple hundred rooms, which means people can pay a premium to be able to stay in in the world of Star Wars, right next to Galaxy's Edge, and immerse themselves. So it's a case where if you're not going to be, if you're not interested in you know, dressing up as a rebel and going on missions in your hotel, probably best better to stay somewhere else. But mm-hmm. if that sounds appealing, uh, this looks like they're going, they're doing the galaxy thing of making it look like you're actually in Star Wars. And I, I don't know about you, Ben, but I want to stay at the Star Wars hotel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does look pretty cool. I, I'm wondering, like, what the specifics are. Like, we've seen um, photos of the, fo- the floor plan and stuff like that. And I think just at, at D23, they unveiled some... Um, basically just uh, some actual models and some concept art and stuff, but we haven't really seen uh, any, I'm not even sure where they are in terms of construction on this thing yet, or the specific dates of of when it's going to be open and available. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see what this thing actually looks like in practice instead of um, in theory, you know, because uh, it, well, (laughs) in theory, it certainly looks impressive. I'm wondering if that immersion is actually going to be as immersive as they claim. Because I think that's one of the things that Peter's been relatively disappointed about um, regarding Galaxy's Edge as a park is the fact that there aren't characters walking around and interacting with people on the level that he 
would want. So I'm wondering in a in a fully immersive hotel environment, if it's just going to feel like a hotel with really cool design work everywhere, or if it's actually going to feel like you're walking around inside of a Star Wars story. Yeah, I think on paper, the idea of that sounds amazing. Then you get to the point where a guest is very angry or upset or having an issue. And <laughs> then it's like, um, excuse me, we need, to, we need to get to a bathroom immediately. Oh, you mean... Um, the refreshment pod over there come with <laughs> right. me visitor like at what point do you break that character at what point do you realize oh i should probably break immersion <laughs> i've always wondered that like uh, what when do when do when does this train its employees to pull the, the line there i'm very curious to see those <laughs> sessions you know what that reminds me of is i don't know if you saw that episode of south park where the kids go on a field trip to like a um like an old 1800s town and terrorists take over and it's like a diehard thing, but all of the employees refuse to break character. So like the terrorists <laughs> are like demanding like where the vault is and they're just like, I don't know what you're talking about, partner. Like all that stuff. They just like are so committed to the bit that they refuse to break. I loved it. Um, okay. So one other thing I guess I should mention uh, about this Star Wars hotel is that it, we've learned that it, it is uh, a part of the fictional brand called the Chandrilla Star Line, like the White Star Line that sort of ran the Titanic. And I had never heard of that phrase before, that that word, Chandrilla, but I looked it up on Wikipedia, excuse me. And uh, it's actually a, a planet in Star Wars canon. It's the birthplace of Ben Solo, aka Kylo Ren, and the homeworld of Mon Mothma. So there's a little trivia you can impress your friends with or... I don't know if that's impressive to anybody that is listening at all, but uh, maybe the hardcore Star Wars fans might appreciate that. So let's move on to uh, what is arguably the most interesting thing, the thing that people are probably the most interested in, um, which is the Marvel land at California Adventure. So, Jacob, we saw some new concept art and a bunch of new information about this. What do we know now? Yeah, Peter snapped a bunch of photos of models and artwork, and Disney released some official clean versions as well of a few of them. So if you want to see what we're talking about, you should go to the site. But the new Marvel Land currently being built at California Adventure, which is the sister park to Disneyland in Anaheim, is going to be called Avengers Campus. And the theme is that uh, the Avengers are building, you know, campuses around the globe, specifically at Disney parks, <laughs> letting uh, guests come visit and sort of, you know, get recruited to help save the world in various ways. So the theme is immersive in the fact that you, it's not just, oh, this is a Spider-Man ride, there's an Iron Man ride or an Ant-Man brewery uh, or whatever else is going to be there. It's going to be you're visiting, you know, a place where you're welcome, welcomed by the Avengers and get to go, you know, interact with them and interact on various adventures with them. And we knew there's going to be a Spider-Man themed ride, which is going to be tricky considering all the stuff happening with Sony right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we knew it's going to be an Ant-Man uh, microbrewery. Uh, and there's concept art for both of these uh, in the article. Uh, and well, the Ant-Man stuff is probably my favorite because it's just a bunch of restaurant stuff that's miniaturized and looks very cute and very, it could be very, very fun. <laughs> the idea of um, being in a heavily themed place, drinking beer, you know, from the idea of being like giant beers are shrunk down for you or vice versa just sounds great. Uh, but the art is very typical theme park concept art where it looks impressive, but it's just vague enough that they can make changes without having to contradict this later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you look at all of the... Uh, concept art you can see you know the, the it looks to be the spider-man ride you can see the brewery and there's a bunch of uh you know official sign descriptions of the mission statement of of what this campus means so here's my big weird question is avengers endgame spoilers ahead with iron man dead is this set in alternate universe where tony stark is setting up these campuses or is this going to be 
in canon with uh, the rest of the MCU. I, ben, would this bother you, or, or is this kind of thing that I shouldn't even be thinking about? Huh, that is really interesting. I had not thought about that, because I think we had heard rumors that there might be, like, a... Uh, a Marvel theme park universe. I know they're they're trying to keep all of these rides and, and attractions sort of in-world where they all interlink with each other in some way, but I don't know how that specifically is going to tie in with the movie stuff or if they're just sort of creating their own separate timeline with the theme park world because... Actually, with um, do you remember with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout? Is that supposed to be set in between... You know, is that set somewhere specific on the the MCU timeline? I don't recall. I haven't actually been on that ride yet myself, even though it's out here in in California. I just have not had a chance to get out there and check it out. But I know that James Gunn has said that it's not canon technically, but at the same time, it utilizes all the new characters from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Like it, it specifically seems a uh, like Mantis is there. It's Baby Groot. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like, and this is a case where I have a hard time learning how they're taking you to. You can't say, um, hey, here are characters who belong to this very specific time in this universe we built, and then say, oh, it doesn't matter. Right. Like, so I, I'm, I'm not going to get really ticked off by this, because it's silly to get ticked off by this, but um, one part of me is like, if you're going to put in so much effort, you know, extend it here, please, for my sake. Yeah. <laughs> well, you mentioned the, um, well, even with Guardians of the Galaxy, they used the, the actual actors from the movies to, uh, I guess... Um, reprise their roles, and they've done that with the Ant-Man ride as well. Um, Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly were involved with that. Um, it, you mentioned Spider-Man, and with the the sort of drama that's popped up this week, I don't think we've seen anything where Tom Holland has like specifically recorded footage or done anything for this upcoming Spider-Man ride. Do you think that there's any chance that we're going to get like a you know, a, a different person cast in that role? Or do you think Spidey will be under a mask and maybe just with like a a different voice or somebody trying to sound like Tom Holland and they'll just try to keep it as vague as possible about who Spider-Man is on this ride or what? This is a really good question because uh, Mission Breakout, the Guardians of the Galaxy ride, does feature the returning cast. And it was directed by, they were directed by James Gunn. And you can kind of tell in the ride because everybody seems to be having a good time. They all seem to be matching their characters. But if you go watch video footage from the Hong Kong Disneyland rides that are Marvel-themed, the Iron Man experience and their, the Ant-Man ride, even though Ant-Man has Paul Rudd and Angelina Lilly, they look like they're not happy to be there. <laughs> and the uh, non-Rob Downey Jr. actor used for Iron Man, he's doing a voice, voiceover for the, on the Iron Man ride, is really bad. Like, genuinely a bad performance. Oh, uh, no. So, so if they can't get Tom Holland, I would hope they would at least, you know, put some love and care into what they do here yeah yeah well we'll have to see about that and uh i guess we'll we'll see what else pours in because uh, d23 is really just beginning we have a bunch of stuff um on the site already from d23 that just probably isn't worth uh, podcast discussion but it's definitely worth checking out you know posters and and um more concept art and some photos from the show floor of a new stormtrooper that's going to be featured in star wars the rise of skywalker so be sure to go to slashfilm.com and check that stuff out you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. The podcast is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcast, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. 
Also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. That does help us a bunch. Tell your friends about the show. Spread the word any way you can. Jacob, before we go, where can people find more of your work online? Uh, everyday at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter where I'm at Jacob S. Hall. You can find me writing at SlashFilm.com as well. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears. And again, I'm not 100% sure that we're going to have bonus episodes from D23, but if Peter can make that happen and, and maybe get us some some reactions to some footage and stuff that's going to be playing over the next couple days, then uh, we will do our best to get that to you as quickly as possible. Worst case scenario, I'm guessing Monday, um, you know, or maybe early next week, he'll talk a lot about the stuff that he's seen. So even if we don't get to you this weekend, um, you know, keep refreshing your podcast feeds and, uh, and we will talk to you soon. So thank you very much for listening and we will talk to you all later.